Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to read a fairly lengthy portion here, 10 verses. But Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7, and the New Living Translation says this, However, He has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. That is why the Scriptures say, When He ascended to the heights, He led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to His people. Notice that it says He ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that He might fill the entire universe with himself. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit perfectly together as each part does its own special work it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love and i'm going to preach for just a few minutes on god's gracious gifts god bless you you may be seated and hopefully i wasn't lying i don't know how many a few is i always tell my kids a few is three or more so it's going to be somewhere more than three but we have no idea how long this will go i'm just kidding i'm going to be as as quick as i can how many of you are familiar with the, the book, The Five Love Languages? A few of you have seen that, and, and they have five love languages for kids, five love languages for adults, of course, when that was the primary thing. And the five love languages are this. They are words of affirmation. Anybody have words of affirmation as one of your, as one of your love languages? You like people to tell you good things about you, about how awesome you are? I was buying donuts this morning. And, and we've been having a lot of extra donuts. And so I told the lady, I said, let's, let's cut back on the donuts today. I, and I'm just going to do 15 plus the donut holes. And before I knew it, she had 21 in the box. She said, you're so sweet, I'm going to give you extra. And I was like, yeah, that's what they say about me, Mr. Sweet. That's... Actually, I don't know that anybody's ever said that. I've got her fooled. But words of affirmation that make you feel good, quality time. Not just quantity time, but spending quality time. That means you're actually talking and communicating, not just sitting in the same room watching a movie or TV or reading your own book. Sitting in a room doing my own thing, I, I, I'm good with that. Quality time is not necessarily mine. Physical touch, acts of service, and the fifth one is gifts. I, I'm not really much of a gift person, but the, these love languages, they are how people show love, and how they receive love. And so when they love somebody, they will do whatever their love language is, and that's the way they show it. And if you don't show it back to them that way, they don't feel loved. I, I know a number of people, their love language is gifts. They want to give gifts. They, they, they're always giving something. They're giving a little trinket. They're giving this. Everywhere they go, they buy a little gift for the people they love. And, and 
Of course, they give those because they love, and then they expect to get those back because that's the way they understand love. That's the way they receive love. That if you give them a gift, then they feel loved. There are, of course, when people are giving gifts, there are gifts that you give just because, and then there are gifts you give that are functional. Functional gifts are those things that you give, they have a purpose. It's not just because you love somebody, you want to help somebody. You want to give them something that they need. But I I have learned this the hard way. Depending on the occasion, gifts that are functional are not always acceptable. That on Valentine's Day, people don't want, uh, at least the lady doesn't want to receive a new iron. It's not a whole lot of love going on there. It's just like, but you need that. I mean, if you don't have the gift of the love language of gifts, then you might give somebody an iron or you might give them a vacuum cleaner or God forbid that you would give them a fat percentage scale. Not probably the functional gift that you want to give. But you, they want to get gifts that have meaning and purpose but are not necessarily functional whenever they have the love language of gifts. The Bible tells us that God is a giver, that God from the beginning has been giving, but God almost always gives us functional gifts. He gives with a purpose. He doesn't give just to be giving. He doesn't give us something that we don't need or don't want. He gives us things that we need, even if we don't know that we need them. Because gifts are not my love language, when, when people give me things that don't have a function, I don't really care that much for them. It's like something, I ha- now I have to take care of something else. Or we save that and we give it to somebody else. Anybody ever done that? God always, though, gives us things that we need to fulfill His will and to fulfill His purpose. So what has He given us? And, and why does He give us? And how are we supposed to utilize the things that God has given us? The text that we looked at, it is following Paul's previous exhortation to live up and to live worthy of God's calling. and That that God has called us and we're supposed to live up to that calling. And, And he ended with this understanding of unity and this understanding of oneness. That we have one spirit and there's one body, the church. And we have one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all, through all, and in you all. And so he has given us... Uh, this unity he's pushing for this unity this one God and now he Paul changes and he goes into how it is that we are supposed to walk in that unity even though we have diversity all of this stuff previously in the beginning of chapter four it's about unity and this oneness and then he changes and says God has given to each one a special gift and so I want to look at Three aspects of these gifts that God has given us. And the first is this. God gives gifts to people. He has given us gifts and he's given them to people. Verse 7 tells us that God has given each one of us a special gift. Not just any old gift. But he has given us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. 
Of course, the, the most important gift that you and I can receive is the gift of His Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that comes to live on the inside of us. That, that when we choose to follow Him and when we repent of our sins and we commit totally to following Him and we're baptized in the name of Jesus by immersion, then we can be filled with the gift of the Holy Spirit, evidence and speaking in other tongues. And that is, without question, the greatest gift. And, and Paul says he's given each one of us a special gift. There's nothing more special than the Holy Spirit, but I, I don't know that Paul is really talking about just the special gift because he uses a special gift, which means there could be more, but it's special to each one of us because it's what you and I need to live the Christian life. And so it could be any one of a number of gifts, but one thing we know about it is that it is special. It is unique. And it is also undeserved. Depending on the translation that you read, it says God has given us gifts. He has graciously given us gifts. It is undeserved. And, and I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that God always gives me things that I do not deserve. That he doesn't give me the things that I do deserve. He doesn't give me death and hell, but he gives me life everlasting with him. I don't deserve that. There's nothing I can do to earn God's grace and earn God's love and earn salvation with him. I'm sure you remember this, but, but mercy is God withholding what you do deserve. When he doesn't give us the penalty for our sin, he doesn't give us the bad things that we earn. But grace is when he gives us those good things that we don't deserve, and the good things that we haven't earned. Paul even talked about this in Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God of works, lest any man should boast. That you and I can't do anything good enough to earn God's gracious gift of salvation. We can't do anything to earn the filling of his spirit. But by grace he has given us a special Paul further tells us that these gifts are according to God's generosity. Because God is a giver, and because God is not a stingy giver, He's not just an occasional giver, He is a generous giver. He has given us these gifts. John 3.16, everybody knows it. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God gave Jesus Christ... So I could be saved. 1 Timothy 6, 17, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. He richly gives. He is a generous giver he's not stingy and because he has everything in his control that means he's always able to give us whatever we need he owns the bible says the cattle on a thousand hills and like i like to say and he owns the hills also and there's there's no famine going to come and wipe out his cattle he owns the cattle and he controls the weather and, and everything that he has he is going to make it available to you and i if we love him and we follow him he is a generous giver Romans 8, 31 and 32, what shall we then say to these things if God be for us? Who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? 
Aren't you glad that God is a generous and a gracious giver, that he gives us everything that we need, everything we need to live the Christian life, everything we need in this life to, to survive and to thrive, he has given us. And I'm not going to deal too much with, there's a little bit of a parenthetical statement that Paul talks about the ascension and, and the, the descending and all of that. And, and if depending on your version of the Bible, you can see that it's kind of a parenthetical excursus that Paul just kind of takes in there and says, this is, let me just give you a little theological background is what he's saying. But we also know that these gifts are given by prophecy and he says, he has prophesied that he would take captivity captive and give gifts to men. That this wasn't a plan B. This was always God's plan to, what, to have a church and to empower them and to give them his gifts. Secondly, though, not only does he gives, give, give gifts to people. I've got to slow down on how I say that. My Louisiana is coming out in me. But he gives gifts of people as well. Verse 11, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. That God gives gifts to his people, but he also gives to the church gifts of people. These apostles, they are ones who are sent primarily to open new areas of the gospel. They are primarily people who are going into countries or in nations or in areas where the gospel hasn't been preached or, or maybe I should even say this, that the whole gospel hasn't been preached and they are beginning to take that into a new area. Back at the beginning of June, we had missionaries, Scott Gwynn and his wife Linda, they were missionaries to Cuba and Mexico going into a new area. They're from St. Louis, Missouri. But God has sent them to Mexico, and now he has sent them to Cuba. They are sent by God, and that's what apostle means. It means one who is sent. And they go into a new area, and they preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul is an apostle. Why is he an apostle? Because he goes in all these new areas, and he opens up these areas with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Places that have never heard the gospel. That's where he was going. And so apostles, we still have them today. That's what they are doing. They're going into new areas and preaching the gospel to people who have not heard any of it or all of it. And then he says he gives to the church prophets. Prophets are ones who speak direct messages from God. We don't see prophets that often in the day and time in which we live. There has been, I guess maybe in recent years, a resurgence of that. But I would just caution you to, to not trust everybody who says that they're a prophet and just believe because they say they're a prophet, they are a prophet. God will confirm the message that they speak. And if they are a true prophet, it will come true. That whatever it is that they're saying, it will come to pass. By their fruit, you, will, you shall know them. Jesus said of that, of his disciples about their love, but you shall also know prophets by their fruit. That if it comes to pass, then God is indeed at work in them. But they are speaking direct messages from God. And there are occasions where we see that even today, that God speaks through people and he is giving messages to individual congregations or individual believers 
Very seldom, if at all, does he do that to the church as a whole, but it's almost always to a localized group of people. Prophets, one who speak direct messages to God. Evangelists, they are ones who are gifted in seeing the masses converted. All of us are called to be evangelists. All of us are called to tell people about the good news and to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. But there are people that God has gifted and he has equipped who they don't just see one or two and they're not just talking to their neighbor but they can go into a church service or they can go into an area and they can preach the gospel and everybody in the room that doesn't know Jesus will come to Jesus. God has gifted them to do that. Back on October 26th, I believe it was, we had a friend of mine, he's an evangelist, he travels around, he preaches about and preaches for people to receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit. That Sunday, we had eight people that needed the Holy Ghost. Six of them received it for the first time that day because he's gifted to be an evangelist. He's called to take and see dozens of people filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And then Paul says there are pastors and teachers. These are ones who disciple and mature people in their faith. They're supposed to do all of the other things as well, but their focus is to disciple people and help them to grow in their faith and help them to grow in their maturity in Christ. Pastors and teachers, they are shepherds. In fact, the word pastor comes from the Greek word poimen, which means shepherd. Shepherds are ones, they are watching out for the flock. They're making sure that the sheep And the flock has food, and they make sure that they have water, and they make sure that they're protected from the enemy. And in this case, it's not that we have a physical enemy, but making sure that people are protected from false doctrine and from untruths and feeding them the word of God. Hebrews says, pastors are watching for your souls. They will give an account for your souls. And and I would just tell you that under this particular point here, I, I had... When we came, and I may have mentioned this to a few of you, but when we came here, I I started hearing a lot of people talk about, well, I don't know that we need to go to church all the time, or I I don't know that we need to be part of a particular assembly, and I don't know that we need to have a church or be a member of a church. And people, some would say, I don't even know if church membership is biblical. So I, I read an article few months ago that addressed this and it looked at a myriad of verses I quoted one of them to you that pastors must give an account for people because they watch for their soul even that verse there presupposes and has the understanding that if I'm called to be a pastor I can't watch out for people I don't know I'm not responsible for Christians all over the world. I'm not responsible for for people that go to some church down the street. I can't watch for them. I can only watch out for the people that come to Cross Church and the people that choose to be gathered here and the people that choose to be members here 
and then I can watch out for their souls. Then I can make sure that they're fed, and then I can make sure that false doctrine is kept away, and then I can do all of that. But even all of that, that presupposes that you're going to be part of a local group and a body of Christ, and, and that it's not enough to just go to a church here and occasionally go to a church there, and every week or every once a month you go to some new church. There's nobody watching for your soul. There's nobody that's making sure that you're fed. There's nobody that can do that unless you join yourself to a body of believers called a local church. And I would even tell you, in the the time in which we lived, after we were online only for eight weeks or so, and a lot of churches are still having to do that, that is not the same as coming together with a group of people and worshiping God together. Sitting in your living room on Sunday morning in your pajamas drinking coffee and multitasking and doing whatever, it's not the same thing. It's better than nothing. But it's not the same of being part of a group of people who have come together to worship God together. And so all of this presupposes that there will be local churches and there will be people that are gathering together that will be instructed and equipped to do the work of ministry. These people, these apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, they have the responsibility to to equip God's people to do His work. If you could go back, Kai, to the, the previous verse. Verse 12, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. That it's not fully the responsibility of the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers to do all the work of ministry. But part of that responsibility is to equip people to do God's work. If you read in various versions, it will tell you to do acts of service, or it will say to do, equip God's people to do the work of ministry. That ministry is not limited to people who stand on a platform, but ministry is the responsibility of everyone who is part of the body of Christ. The word ministry just means service. And so if you're a minister, that means you are a servant. And part of my role as a pastor and a teacher is to equip people to do works of service or to do ministry. The end result of this is that we are to build up the church. We build it up through evangelism. We build it up through discipleship. We build it up together that evangelism is not the domain of those who are called to be evangelists evangelism is not just the domain of those who are called to be pastors but evangelism is the domain of all who call themselves christian and that means that you share the gospel with people that you know that we build the church by making it larger through evangelism and making it larger by bringing people in 
But we don't just make it larger, but we make it to grow up through maturity and through discipleship and through helping people to become better Christians and more and more of what God wants them to be. Discipleship is a lifelong process. It's not just a decision that you make and that's the end of the journey. It is a life long process one of the core values of cross church is lifelong discipleship because you're not going to be fully mature in a moment you're not just going to be fully mature in the blink of an eye and just go "I, i have decided to follow jesus and now i'm everything god wants me to be it is a journey it is a process The Bible speaks of sanctification, and I don't want to use too many unfamiliar words, but sanctification, which means that you are called out and you are to grow closer to God. You are sanctified. We are made, set apart and made holy because of who God is and what he has done. But that sanctification, there is an element of that which takes place in a moment. The theological word, that many people use, I guess it's not really theological, but they use it in theology, is that sanctification is punctiliar. And look at your neighbor and say punctiliar. That means that part of it takes place at a moment in time. It is just a specific, God has declared us to be holy. That when we come into relationship with him and we're saved, he declares us holy, say, bam, there it is. And then reality kicks in. And then we start living unholy. We start living like we've been living. And so then it's a process of us becoming and living what God has declared us to be. That we're not there just in a moment. We're not everything. We're saved, yes. We're on our way to heaven, yes. Are we conformed to the image of Jesus Christ fully yet? No. And so it's a process. And so we have to mature. And and when you come to Jesus Christ, you don't know everything that you need to know. I'm 48 years old. I've been around this all my life, and there's so many things I don't know. That it takes time to mature and to become everything that God wants us to be. It takes sometimes a lot of time. Years, in fact, for God to work in us and to make us what he wants us to be. So I was doing a Bible study a couple of weeks ago, and it just crossed my mind. I'll throw this in, but it's an old song, and I remember this from when I was a kid. Thought He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. Took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth, and Jupiter and Mars. And there's a little piece I don't remember, but it ends up. Don't judge me yet. There's an unfinished part. He's still working on me and the reality is he's still working on everybody this side of heaven that if you haven't reached heaven yet he's still working on you you're never going to be everything you need to be and the more you know and the more you grow the more you understand that you have a long way to go to be like jesus you have a long way to go to be conformed to the image of jesus christ he's still working on me thirdly and finally 
God not only gives gifts to people and gifts of people, but he gives gifts for people. And I have touched on this, but I'm going to read this passage again. Verse 13 through 16. He says, this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord. Measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Just leave that up there for a minute. This will continue. These people that are supposed to be equipping people, that will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. The reality is that will not happen this side of heaven. It's only when we get to heaven that we will measure up to the full and complete standard of Christ. That means that you and I need to continue to mature and continue to grow and continue to be all that God has called us to be. He has given the gifts of people so that his people would be mature. And and maturity comes in verse 13 here. Maturity comes through unity. While there are diversities of gifts, maturity comes through the unity of the faith. This implies that people do not all start out unified. They don't all start out believing the same thing and understanding the same thing. And any time you have people that interact and gather together, guess what? You're going to have difference of opinion and difference of of how you do things and difference of the way things should be. But he says he wants us to come to a unity of the faith so that we can be mature in the Lord. Maturity is measured by the full and complete standard of Christ. And Pastor Cedric, well, if you would go ahead and come, give him a little hope. But maturity is not measured by whether you know what I know. Maturity is not measured by what you know what the person sitting next to you knows. Maturity is not measured by how well you follow the Christian faith compared to your spouse or to your parents or to your friends. But maturity is measured by how you line up with Jesus Christ. That's the standard. And I don't know about you, but I know that I've got a long way to go to get to where God wants me to be. And I've already acknowledged that I'm not going to get there this side of heaven, but that doesn't mean I just say, well, I'm not going to make it until he takes me home, so I'm just going to give up. No, I'm going to continue to strive and to seek to know him more and to seek to grow in my relationship with him every day and to seek to mature in my faith and in my knowledge of the Son of God until I'm everything he wants me to be. Maturity means we will no longer be like children. Verse 14, we will no longer be immature like children. Not tossed to and fro by every new teaching. I've seen people, every time something new comes along, they're like, oh, that sounds great. And they follow after some new teaching or some new wave or some new doctrine. He says mature people aren't like that. 
They're grounded in the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. They're not just following anything new that comes along, but they are following after what they have previously been taught. Not influenced by false teachers speaking almost truths. And I love the way the NLT says this. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever. They sound like the truth. There's nothing so dangerous as that which is almost true. Because when it's almost true, you can be persuaded that it's true. You can be like, man, it sounds, that sounds right. It sounds good. But lies so clever. I think that's what happened to Eve in the garden. When the serpent begins to talk to her, he changes what God said. Didn't God say? And she's like, that sounds pretty good. It sounds pretty close. Of course, we read the scripture and we go, no, this is what he said over here and this is what he said here. But if all you had was just this auditory time where you heard God say it one time and then now you're just, you hear something else, that sounds like the truth. It's a lie so clever that it sounds like truth. That when you're mature, you don't follow after those lies. You don't follow after every wind of doctrine. When you're mature, verse 15, you speak the truth in love. That when you confront somebody who's following falsehood or, or they, they're following something that's not biblical or whatever the case may be, you speak the truth in love. And I may have used this example, but a lot of times people will, will use this of things that are not, there. it's about a truth such as, you know, I really don't like your shirt. And so, if you, you know, you got to speak the truth. Somebody says, hey, what do you think of my shirt? Well, I really don't like that, but if you like it, it's okay. That's not what it's talking about. It's about speaking the truth, the truth of God. The truth about the scripture, the truth about Jesus Christ, and you speak that truth in love. When you're immature, just tell people, well, you're an idiot for not doing this. That doesn't win anybody, that doesn't help anybody, but when you're mature, you understand that there are reasons why people believe what they believe, and, and there are things that you have to do, and you have to share the gospel in a winsome way, in a way that's helpful. You don't just shove it down their throat, but you speak it in love. Not because you need to mark it off and say, well, I told somebody else about Jesus. No, but out of love because you want them to receive it and to accept it and to be saved themselves. And so whatever you have to do, and that's what Paul said, I'll become all things to all men that by all means I might save some. Whatever it takes to get the job done because I love them and I want them to be saved. Maturity means that we grow more and more like Christ and maturity means that everyone is doing their part. The whole body is healthy and the whole body is growing and the whole body is full 
of love. God has given gifts to his people. God has given gifts of people, and he has given gifts for his people. So the question, our questions today are this. How has God gifted you? That God has given to each person a special gift. How has he gifted you? You may say, well, I I don't know that he's given me anything. I, I don't know that I've given or I've received a gift. But he has given to every person who is a part of the body of Christ. He has given them a special gift. And at minimum, if you are a member of the body of Christ, that means that you have received the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And at minimum, that means you've received power to be a witness. But God gives us not only just that way, but He gives us in in many different ways where sometimes it's a supernatural gift or sometimes it's just a natural gift. And you're good at this or you're good at that. And He has called us to take everything that He has gifted us with and to use it in the body of Christ to do the work of ministry. Let's stand together. It is his desire that we would grow into mature believers. It is also his desire that we would be active and serving in the body of Christ. That we don't just come on a Sunday morning and go, all right, I'm here, go ahead and feed me and let me feel good and let's just worship the Lord and all of that is true and all of that should happen but it is his desire that we would be active and serving in the body of Christ you are special and he has given you a special gift he has equipped you you are valuable to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So I I realize this is maybe not the most inspirational and motivational message, but I'm going to ask you if you would go ahead and come forward, and I'll I'll talk a little bit more, but maintain your social distancing, whether you move up just one section or, or however you feel comfortable doing that. First, I would tell you this, is that if you haven't received that infilling of the Holy Spirit, it is God's greatest gift. It's not a gift that He gives without purpose. It's not a gift that He gives just randomly but He gives it to those who have committed their lives to following after Him. He gives that gift to those who have said, I'm tired of following the world system. I'm tired of following my own way and I want to follow His way. 
it, he gives that gift to those who believe that he really wants to come and live on the inside of them. And he gives that gift with evidence. He doesn't just go with it's the thought that counts. No, he really gives his gift of his spirit and he lets you know. When they first received that gift in Acts chapter 2, there was an evidence that they spoke with other tongues. They didn't have to wonder if there was things happening. They didn't have to go, well, he said he was going to give us a gift and I guess we got it. No, they knew that they had it because there was evidence and there was evidence in Acts 8 and Acts 10 and Acts 19 and he gives that gift and that's the greatest thing and everything else flows from that. That if you haven't received that gift, you can do that today. That you can be filled with the Holy Spirit evidence of speaking with other tongues today. But if you have experienced that, ask God what He wants you to do in His kingdom, how He wants you to be involved, and how He wants you to work in His kingdom. As they begin to play and sing, would you begin to talk to the Lord and just whether you've received the Holy Spirit, start there, and if you have, then ask God how He wants you to be involved in His kingdom. Jesus, we want to be everything that you've called what us to be. This can offer Lord, we want to be everything that you've called us to be. God, we want to be at work in your kingdom. We want to make sure our calling and election is sure. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Only comes from you. Yes, above. I want to follow you. I want to follow you. I want to follow you. Anybody want to follow him today? I want to follow you. I want to follow you. If you don't know what to pray, just make this song your prayer today. I want to follow you, Lord Jesus. What this world can offer.
It's not your desire for it to be just for a few, but it is your desire that everyone be filled with the the Holy Spirit. And I pray, Lord, that everyone in this room today would experience that. Your word says that the spirit of him that dwelt in Christ dwell in us. It shall also quicken our mortal bodies. That if we want to spend eternity with you, if we want to go call us home, Lord, we must have and must be filled with your Spirit. It's not just a good option, it's not just for the few, but it's for whosoever will. And Lord, I pray that those who have not experienced the infilling of your Spirit Lord, that they would not see it as optional. Because when you view it as something optional, you don't have the passion, you don't have the desire, you don't have the want to, to receive all that you have. Lord, I pray that it start there, but beyond that, Everyone who's part of your body, Lord, you have equipped them. You have a desire for them to be equipped 
to not only grow and to mature, but to be involved in your kingdom. And I pray that you help us to discern what those gifts are and to put them into practice and to live them out. And we give you all the glory, all the praise, all the honor. And everybody said in Jesus' name. So glad you're here today. And I hadn't really planned on doing this, but Kai, if you want to put that slide back up, the serving slide, that if you're not involved or you want to be involved in a different way than you are now, feel free to come and see me or any of the other leaders in the various areas of the church or text the word serve to 888-238-2134. We'd love to get you involved in doing more for the kingdom of God. God bless you. Greet people. Socially distance. Make sure that they're comfortable with however you greet them. Let's go in Jesus' name and have a great week.